Welcome to Inside the Bradfield Centre. I'm James Parton, Managing Director of the Bradfield Centre. And joining us on today's episode is James Thomas, who is the Senior Investment Associate of Software at Cambridge Enterprise. I'm really looking forward to this conversation and there's a lot of ground I want to cover with James today so uh, in no particular order just getting to understand a little bit more about the Cambridge Enterprise organization and how that might work globally with other universities types of support they provide their teams the challenges of translating research into product market fit I think is an interesting topic and just getting a sense from James like what's hot what are they looking at what's the exciting technologies and opportunities coming over the horizon Uh, so yeah I'm sure it's going to be fascinating. So James, thanks so much for taking the time uh, to come onto the show today. Why don't we just start with a little bit about you and your background? Great. Thanks, James. And thanks for having me on today. Really looking forward to this. Um, So yeah, my name is James Thomas. I'm a Senior Investment Associate at Cambridge Enterprise. Um, I've been at Cambridge Enterprise for probably three and a half years now. Um, what Cambridge Enterprise does is that we are part of the University of Cambridge. So our role within the university is that we are the commercialization arm of the university. Um, The other phrase associated with us is the technology transfer office, but we prefer to use the term commercialization arm because we feel it better represents the wider range of um, services that we offer. And our aim is to help the academics and researchers um, create impact in uh, the wider society um, through translating their research into um, into tangible impact. So that's why I do that. I'm part of that organisation. Um, on the personal side of things, I've been in Cambridge for just over 20 years. Um, so I've seen quite a lot of change happen in the city over that time. Um, I arrived at Cambridge Enterprise uh, after uh, a stint at Black Dot Solutions, which is a, a software company based in Cambridge, not a university spin-out, um, but a software company. Um, before that, I studied at the university as well. Interesting. So, I mean, I guess, yeah, in some ways, you're, you're, I mean, you've got a really exciting role in the sense that you must be seeing everything that's kind of bubbling up inside, you know, one of the most successful universities in the world. Um, can you give us a sense of what that's like on a day-to-day basis? You know, what, what is the, what, how does the process work in terms of, you know, how do you discover interesting projects um how do you build your kind of deal flow in in that sense absolutely yeah that's a great question so um of the three units we have at cambridge enterprise we've got our consultancy team which helps consultants um helps academics be consultants to third-party organizations we've got our technology transfer team which helps with the licensing of intellectual property into third-party organizations and then we've got the seed funds team which i'm part of which is on the investment side Um, now, the reason I mention this is because us on the seed fund side of things, when we're trying to find university spin-outs to invest in, 70 to 80% of what we're investing in comes through our technology transfer team. So what these guys are doing, guys and girls are doing, is um, they're going out into university on our outreach programs. So we all run talks in the different departments around the university. We're encouraging the academics and researchers to place their disclosures with us. Uh, and then when they place their disclosure with us, we'll make sure we have a policy of trying to, to have a meeting with everybody who places uh, an inquiry with us, providing they're part of the university and within our remit. 
Um, and what they'll do is that they will help those academics um, build up those commercial propositions. Um, and hopefully, once they grow into something that looks like it should be commercialized through a spin out, not what all technologies should. And that's something perhaps we can cover later. Um, but if it looks like that the, the technology, the viable commercial route should be through a spin out, then they'll get us involved on the seed fund side, side of things as well. And, and so that structure that you describe, is, is that typical of most kind of global universities? Do you see differences? You know, what, what kind of approaches and how, how do you kind of compare to other leading uh, institutions? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I'd say one thing we're very lucky at, at Cambridge is that the what I refer to as central university. So we're set up as a 100 percent owned subsidiary, um, but we have a lot of support from central university. Um, you know, we are an organisation of 80, 90 people, something like that. Um, at other universities, they may only have, you know, we go to conferences and we tell them how many people we've got. And they may only have eight or nine people trying to do this technology transfer or commercialization activity for that university. Um, so we are lucky in that we're one of the few universities that has a fund that can invest into our spin outs. And equally to have so many people um, that we can do what we call a case by case um, methodology. So we will look at each case on its individual merits and try and treat them in, in different ways. But other universities, sadly, simply don't have the resources to be able to do that. And they have a slightly more um, standard approach to the way they do things. And is that investment in terms of like the resources that you have to deploy uh, been a long term thing? Is it is it grown you know recently? Give us a sense of how that's changed over time. Sure. So the, the seed fund part of Cambridge Enterprise has been going, I think, for about 25 years now. So um, it's been going on for a little while. Obviously, I'm lucky that I get to, to benefit from the learnings of, um, of the organization from before me. Um, so that did start off smaller. Um, obviously, we didn't have as much money as that then as we do now. But we have what's called an evergreen fund. So all of our money we invest is from the university's balance sheet. And then we are topping up that money with... Um, the, the exits we make, the realizations we make on successful investments, and that has grown over the uh, over the last twenty five years, thankfully. So we do have more money than we did to begin with um, on the investment side of things, and as well as the pure equity investment side of things, and we do make um, pre seed convertible loans as well. Um, we have what we call proof of concept funding, which is available through our technology transfer team, which is for the much earlier stage um, propositions as well. So then we've got quite a few different financial tools available to us. And what we try and do is we match up the technology or the company to the stage of financial support that's most relevant and um, help them build a proposition that will hopefully aim for that to be that funding or investment to be approved. And then we have various other non-financial resources as well um, that we can use to, to, to leverage um, uh, to get the most out of these propositions. And you mentioned there's a consulting team. So are you kind of, um, is that another revenue stream in terms of providing consultancy services to third parties as well? Absolutely, yeah. So we often find that external organisations are very keen to make use of the world-leading experts that we have at the university. We've got a great pool of resources there in that in that sense. Um, so yeah, obviously, you know, the, um, the academics want to focus on the research that they're working on and the value they can add to the organisation. Um, that wants to contract them. And what we can do is we can provide the the administrative services, give those academics the, the peace of mind that everything's being dealt with behind the scenes, that you know they get access to indemnity insurance. They can say they're working on behalf of the university. Um, you know, we'll negotiate the value of their contracts to make sure that they're getting 
full value for their worth. And when it comes to the spin-outs, it's quite often that um, if the academic, often there's a group around a technology that results in a spin-out, it's not uncommon for the principal investigator, the PI, to stay in the university and then provide consulting services to the spin-out afterwards. Interesting. So, I mean, the kind of nub of what you do then, I mean, what, what, what do you, what challenges do you see in, in terms of, you know, translating research into, you know, commercial undertakings or finding product market fit? Yeah. So I'd say there's a few challenges around this. I think um, one of them is around simply asking the academics, and this is the, the context of technologies or research that they want to commercialize as opposed to the consultant side of things is kind of like, why would somebody buy this? Um, one of my colleagues likes to refer to the, the so what methodology. Um, and the aim of that is to bring out the difference between features and benefits. So features being what the characteristics of a product is or a service um, versus the benefits, which is actually the value that it will provide to the customers. And then once you know what those benefits are, you can then go and, and test them in the market. Um, the slightly brutal way I, I put it sometimes is that um, customers often don't care how your thing works. They just want to know what it's going to do for them. Um, and so what we try to do in our co early conversations with the academics and researchers is, is draw that out because what we all, we've all got, um, you know, backgrounds where we can, we sit at the interface of that research and commercial worlds. And so we are asking those questions that, in the academic's language to try and draw out those benefits that we can then translate. Um, and then the academic can take to the, um, to the commercial organizations. And are you, I'm guessing you provide a kind of range of supporting mentorship and services to help them, you know, establish the kind of formation of a business. And maybe do you go as far as like helping them with the hiring and recruitment, that kind of stuff as well? Yeah, we've got a few different ways in doing this. So, um, one of the, the, uh, things that I contribute with internally at Cambridge Enterprises are experts and mentors program. Um, and this is a group of people who've altruistically um, chosen to give up some of their time to, for free to help our researchers and our spin out companies. Um, so we've got them all categorized in terms of what their, what their expertise and their background is. So if we need to bring someone in who's got a particular expertise in a certain industry, then we'll go and search our database and see if we've got anyone with that, that we can match them up with. Um, we're also very lucky in that uh, we've got Paul Bailey, um, formerly Bailey Fisher, um, who is our entrepreneur in residence for talent. And so we often get him involved on the team building side of things. And then we've got two other entrepreneurs in residence as well on the one for physical sciences and one for life sciences, who are kind of they're contracted um, to do one day a week for us and do um, hands on work with the companies that we bring forward. So at the moment, that's um, Pete Hutton and Kevin McDonald. And like having, you know, worked alongside Adelina for, you know, some period of time now, I know that certainly she's um, done a lot of work at that intersection between research and science and technology and then sales and marketing and how to kind of frame propositions, how to sell what you're doing. And as you were saying, you know, trying to find your ideal customer and being clear about the benefits of what you're working on. So, you know, is that a truism? You know, does Cambridge suffer from a kind of lack of sales and marketing skills or, or are you seeing that change? Um, it's not something I would say that we are massively lacking. Um, one thing we, so in terms of our approach to, to building a spin out, I would say that a lot of it comes down to 
what do the academics, what role do the academics want to play in that spin-out company? Um, some of them want to be CTOs, which is absolutely fine. And then we'll go out and try and find people with the relevant commercial skills to, to um, help them with that. In some cases, they may want to be the CEO. And um, what we do is, alongside the other um, resources we have available, we run a um, the, the Chris Abel postdoc business plan competition every year. Um, and as part of that, we provide a series of, of webinars and training workshops with which to kind of train up postdoctoral researchers and provide them with learning experiences to develop the skills themselves. And they're often ones who are looking to, they're thinking about maybe transitioning out of academia and might want to be the CEO of their own spin out. And if they want to be, and we think they have the, um, the, the, the potential to do so, then we will try and provide them with the resources to train them up and do that, do that. And I guess it's just a question that springs to mind. You know, how early should people approach you with an idea? What, what's your kind of advice on how fully formed the idea has to be before it's worth sitting down and having a conversation? Do you, do you encourage them to begin, you know, to start engaging as quickly as possible, or do you prefer more of a kind of you know formed idea? So we do encourage people to come to us as early as possible. Um, an indication of this is we have an idea form on our website that we would encourage people to fill in. Obviously, we have to restrict this to people who are associated with the university, but anybody from across the university is very welcome to fill that form in and they'll, they'll get a response. Um, the advantages of coming to us early is that we can help the academics and researchers avoid some of the common pitfalls um, before they've done something. It's often a lot easier to educate and preempt problems rather than fix them afterwards. Um, so the classic example around that would be around academic publishing and patents. Um, so, you know, if, a, if an academic is thinking of, has got some research and they want to um, publish that in a paper, um, the patenting process means that they need to start filing that patent before the paper is published. And if they only realise the commercial potential after they've published the paper, then there may only be limited intellectual property protection that they can get. So that's just one example of one of the pitfalls that we can help people avoid if they come to us as early. And equally, you know, like I said, we've, we've been around for a little while now. So hopefully we can provide advice around you know, the early sort of work that they should be doing to examine the commercial potential um, and signpost them to other resources in the university that might be able to help them. So programs like the Trinity Bradfield Prize then are quite complementary in, in terms of the fact that they're, they're very early stage ideas, but you know, it, it's a good opportunity for, you know, to, to flag them and to engage with them early. Absolutely. Yeah. No, always encouraging people to to enter the business plan competitions across the university, the Trinity Bradfield Prize, obviously being one of the best. And then, you know, things such as the Impulse program, um, the various entrepreneurial programs run at the Judge Business School. I think, you know, one of the great things about Cambridge is that there is where there's a real entrepreneurial culture around both the city and the university. So there's no shortage of places to to look for help and Yes, if you come to us super early, we may not take you on immediately for, for follow-on steps, but we can point you to other places where you can go and build out what you've got and then come back to us again at a later date as well. We're very happy to be kept up to date with progress and things like that. Just to pause the conversation a second and tell you a little bit more about the changes we're making at the Bradfield Centre, we now offer a whole range of new flexible membership packages which support homeworkers, hybrid homeworking blended with access to high quality office space and meeting room hire by the hour. Starting from as little as £45 per month, visit bradfieldcentre.com for more information or call 01223 
How would you describe what makes Cambridge, you know, different to other ecosystems, either in the UK or globally? Because from my perspective, it it is quite unique in terms of how interconnected everything is, but it still maintains that kind of small city feel, and and everyone is, you know, just one one or two connections away. I mean, what's your what's your take being right in the centre of things at the university? So you've taken one of the words straight out of my my mouth, which was interconnected. Um, you know, it is a big plot. I think the other, the words that I would associate that is, is just the density. Um, Cambridge is a very small city. Um, but that, what that means is that everything is very close together. Um, and you know, we were only talking about this in our our team this morning where, um, we were saying that colleagues often meet with the academics that they're working with. They, they bump into them at the school gate or at the, you know, at the supermarket. So there's lots of opportunities for serendipity um, and they they auto-generate as opposed to in perhaps a bigger city where you might not bump into these people because, you know, they're living in the suburbs or whatever it is. So I think that definitely plays a big part of it. Um, and as you say, the ability to you know not be one or two connections away from somebody you want an introduction to definitely plays a big part. Um, and the other thing I would say about Cambridge is that it's got a very collaborative mindset very open-minded we're always interested in the possibility um one of my colleagues has the attitude of well we might as well introduce two people because at the work what's the worst that can happen they can probably have a really interesting conversation but the best case scenario is that you know some great new idea comes out of it that results in you know value for the academic or for the business that they're talking to or, or whatever it is um because there's often people working on similar things but coming at it from very different perspectives and some real innovation comes together when they when they combine their approaches and it's all i think there is a you know that approach in cambridge of of trying to grow the pie for various different organizations rather than trying to just take the biggest slice of it um which i think is it's great to be a part of it's very satisfying yeah, absolutely. So you touched on, you know, how you reinvest successful um, exits back into the fund. Why don't we just maybe go through some of the, if you like, for want of a better expression, the greatest hits, you know, what are some of the kind of names or companies that you guys have invested in that have gone on to great things? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I would say that we're, we're very lucky in that Cambridge is also so great in so many different fields, which means we've got a real variety of greatest hits. Um, so on the software side of things, obviously Vocal IQ, um, which was Professor Steve Young, um, and that was sold to, to Apple and a lot of their technology went into what everybody knows as Siri. That's obviously quite a nice tangible one that we can, that we can point to. Um, again, another one on the software side of things is, is Grant Design, um, which is around materials data for simulation. That was something that, um, we, the university licensed some IP into, and the, the business went along for 25 years before being acquired by ANSYS. So we have quite long timeframes, um, which allowed that to happen. You know, because we've got this evergreen structure, we don't have to push for an exit or anything like that. We can let the business take its natural course. On the life science of things, we've got um, Horizon Discovery, um, which I think is probably fairly well known. Obviously, Darren Disley, um, etc., which has done fantastically well um, for both the city and the university. Um Cambridge CMOS sensors is one from Florian Udrea's stable, 
Um, he's got five or six spin-outs, and that's one of the particularly successful ones that was uh, acquired by AMS. Um, but those are just, you know, portfolio companies. It's worth mentioning that we, you know, the licensing of technology to bigger organizations is also very important to us. And as I mentioned earlier, not we're not just looking to create spin-outs for the sake of it. We want to find the most viable commercial path. Um, and there's been some really successful licensing stories, such as um, an inert suspension mechanism that we licensed to McLaren F1 team, um, which was very popular. Um, and then also CASTEP, which is a materials modeling piece of software as well. So those have been great licensing successes for us too. Um, and then amongst the current portfolio, we've got some companies that we think are uh, on really good trajectories, companies like um, like Zampler, which is developing an alternative material for plastics. Uh, we've got Colorifics, which is looking at environmentally friendly dyeing technology. Um, you know, there are there's lots of good things coming out of the university, and the current crop is looking looking very positive indeed as well as well as the historic successes. Well, that's a good segue into my kind of, uh, I guess, final question. You know, what what are you looking for right now? What what technologies, what opportunities are hot for you? You know, where are you looking to make those uh, future investments? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, one thing to to, to clarify is that unlike a traditional VC, um, because our remit is restricted to uh, companies with a current association with the university, um, we can't do the same um technology landscaping or market assessment or trend analysis that that the big VCs can do. We are somewhat um, at the mercy of what research is going on at the university, and then we will encourage whatever research is coming out. Um, But in terms of the trends that we're we're seeing that are really interesting at the moment and the spin-outs that are going on to do quite a lot of success, I would say that um, on the physical sciences side of things, I think uh, kind of space tech and quantum is very very hot at the moment and we've got a few different uh, companies in that space we've got new quantum who are doing um, single photon emission and detection uh, we've got um, a, a folding satellite company which is at the very early stages at the moment and obviously river lane who i think a few people will have heard of in the cambridge inconsistent moment who are developing the, the operating system for quantum computers which is a really exciting proposition also on the hardware side, obviously battery technology. I don't think that'll be a, a surprise to anyone. Um, we've got a couple of companies in that space. Um, so Niobolt and, and Echion Technologies, for example. On the life sciences, I'd say genomics is seeing a lot of interest at the moment, which is, which is quite interesting. And I've got a personal interest on the interface between biology and software. And we're seeing quite a few companies in that, in that space, such as Sanogenetics and, and Zeta Genomics. Yeah, we know Sano really well. Obviously, uh, we're members of the Bradfield. Um, I mean, genetics is genetics is certainly a, you know an area of strength at Cambridge. Yeah, and you know I've just mentioned two digital technologies there on the gen- genomics and genetics side of things, but obviously on the, on the wet lab side of things as well is really up and coming. Um, in terms of where I focus, because I focus specifically on software spinouts coming out of the university, um, I think one area that's really interesting is is explainable AI. Um, so obviously, we've all seen the, the rise of AI over the last few years, but um, increasing scrutiny of the black box part of it has, has been coming into play. And so technologies that can kind of unlock that and provide explanations for regulatory reasons, for example, I think is really interesting. Can you, can you walk us through that then in a bit, a bit more detail? So demystifying the kind of algorithm side of things. 
Yeah, so broadly, um, I'm sure there's going to be some computer scientists who are wincing at my explanation of this, but uh, bear with me. Um, Very broadly, you have your data, you train your model, and then you use your model to make predictions. But you don't know why the algorithm has made the predictions. You can't point to say, or it's very hard to point to say, right, because of X, Y, and Z, the model has made predictions A, B, and C. Um, So... If I can try and draw an, draw an example of, um, if we go into radiology, you know, lots of interest in the use of AI to um, speed up the processing of, of medical imaging and perhaps pick up on cancer and x-rays and, and that sort of things. Um, at the moment, the algorithms broadly can identify what in the, um, on the scan has resulted in them flagging it as a potential cancer risk, but they can't tell you why. Um, they've just at the very basic level looked at a set of images uh, and identified the common themes but they can't necessarily communicate to the users of the technology what those common themes are and obviously from regulatory purposes you need to know why you're making a medical decision not just making one yeah absolutely interesting hopefully i won't get too many listeners uh, calling in to correct me on that one but hopefully that's given a given a, a broad overview And then coming back to the themes, I'd say data is really interesting. I know that's quite wide ranging, but what we're seeing is that there is a lot of uh, industries, for example, the construction industry um, has historically already been gathering a lot of data, but they haven't actually made use of it yet. Um, And so there's an increasing driver from the higher ups in big companies saying there is a cost associated with storing all this data from you know, the sensors we've got on the on the buildings, etc. How can we actually leverage that data to generate value rather than it just being a cost? Um, so being able to, you know, these kind of big data technologies to be able to, to draw insights out of the existing repositories of data, I think is quite interesting. Um, and then the final one that really excites me is, is cross-discipline work. I mentioned earlier the interaction between, you know, software and life sciences um equally we've got a really interesting company that we're working with called burst ai which is a collaboration from an academic at our linguistics department and some researchers at the institute for manufacturing which is part of the engineering department um which has been looking at um transparency of supply chains so it's all been using natural language processing technologies um to build out those supply chains from publicly available information so, you know, not natural bedfellows, linguistics and engineering, but um, some really interesting breakthroughs in that space. And I, I don't think they'll be the last. Interesting. Yeah, really, really interesting. So just to wrap things up, you know, how, what, you know, what should listeners do next? You know, is there, what, what do you guys got going on? How do people get involved? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say if you're interested in learning more about what Cambridge Enterprise does in, in the context of the wider university, um, there's some great case studies on our on our website, and obviously there's our annual reports available there. I think our, our 2020 annual report is is imminent, so there'll be some new content there for for people who've been there before too. Um, we, as I mentioned earlier, we run the Chris Abel Postdoc Business Plan Competition every year. Um, we're starting up the advertising for the launch of that. We've got our launch event on. I think the date will be the 28th of April, um, and then. If you want to plan ahead to November, we've got our grand finale for the for the 11th of November, and we're going to be doing that virtually again this year, given the current conditions. 
So is that Open 21 to come in and just watch? Or Absolutely, yeah. So we um, anyone can come and watch the grand finale. Uh, obviously, it's a bit early to open up sign-ups for that yet, um, but we obviously will do it in due course. The launch event is probably more for people who are interested in entering. Um, so that's more for the, the postdoctoral research themselves or equally individuals who are interested in, in teaming up with a postdoc. We only require there to be one postdoc on the team. Um, so we, you know, we have some, we, we run some collaborations with the judge business school to try and pair up MBA students or entrepreneur students with, with postdocs to kind of form those cross-discipline teams to get those complementary skill sets together. Um, and the other thing I just, you know, want to promote is just the, the quality of the portfolio companies we have that we're working with, the spin-ups we're working with, and equally the technologies available for licensing as well. So anyone visiting our website can go and look at the, the, the portfolio companies page of our website and see which spin-outs we're working with. I um, name dropped a few of them already today, but there's a, a more fuller list there. Um, and there's equally separate pages on the website as well, which list current technologies that we're currently lo- looking to license to third parties. So um, yeah, if anybody working for, for bigger corporations out there who are interested in licensing some, some world-leading technology, there's a, there's a place for you as well. Fantastic. Okay, that's a, a great way to end. Thanks again so much for taking the time to come on. You know, really interesting to learn more about the role of Cambridge Enterprise in the, in the university ecosystem. Great, thanks very much for having me. So James was great. Uh, I think he answered all of the questions, got some really great insight in terms of what Cambridge Enterprise is uh, his mission is and, and the kind of support that they provide. thought it was really interesting that um, how they're kind of organized in terms of having the consultancy arm, the uh, technology transfer arm around licensing of intellectual property and then the seed fund as well. Um, and also, you know, really surprising to just get that size comparison, just how much larger Cambridge Enterprise is versus other universities that James has encountered. So I think that's a real Real testament to Cambridge spotting that opportunity to really invest in this space and seems to be paying dividends as well. Um, and really just really interesting just to hear what they're looking at right now, how they interact with the university and promote themselves. And as we hear a lot of times on these on these episodes, you know, just, just how connected everything is in Cambridge, which is, you know, really a big part of the ingredients of the success of the city. So definitely check out their website if you're a student at the university reach out start a conversation with them and if you're in business if you're in a company and you want to work with the cambridge university then uh, you know where to go uh, and make contact so thanks once again for james for coming on the show today the show was produced by carl homer of cambridge tv And you can listen to previous episodes by searching for Inside the Brattle Centre on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and pretty much every other podcasting platform. Please take a second to give us a five-star review. It'll really help us get the show out there to other people.